Our second scripture reading this morning is our third week through the 25th chapter of Matthew. This morning's passage begins with verse 41. So let us listen for and hear God's holy word. Jesus said, when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on the throne in his glory. All the nations will be gathered before him and he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will put the sheep on his, at his right hand and the goats at his left. Then the king will say to those at his right hand, Come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you gave me clothing. I was sick and you took care of me. I was in prison and you visited me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when was it that we saw you hungry and gave you food or thirsty and gave you something to drink? And when was it that we saw you a stranger and welcomed you or naked and gave you clothing? And when was it that we saw you sick or in prison and visited you? And the king will answer them, Truly, I tell you, just as you did it to one of the least of these who are members of my family, you did it to me. Then the king will say to those at his left hand, you, are a, you that are accursed, depart from me into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me no food. I was thirsty and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger and you did not welcome me. Naked, and you did not give me. Lord, when was it that we saw you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not take care of you? Then the king will answer them, Truly I tell you, and these as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. Friends, this into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. May your word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. In and through the power of your Holy Spirit and with full conviction. Amen. If you've been paying attention, you've probably noticed a lot, a, talk, a lot of talk about the end times lately. In just the last head, Station Eleven, World War Z, A Quiet Place, The Last of Us. It's even coming up here at church during the last few weeks. Our scripture readings and sermons have revolved around Jesus telling us about what the end of the world will be and what it will be like. But we know this is nothing new, of course. Tim LaHaye's Left Behind series has been around for nearly 30 years. In the unlikely event you don't know what I'm referring to, this is a series of books about how Christians will be snatched up while the rest of the world is left behind as God cleanses the earth with a wave of violence during the end of the world. Even this week, after a quick Google search, I found a website out there called raptureready.com. It claims to be able to read the signs and calculate when exactly Jesus is coming back. In the wake of the Israel-Hamas war and the war in Ukraine and the American political dysfunction and the uncertainty of the global financial markets, their rapture index, as of Monday of this past week, was all the way up to 187, 
just a couple points away from the all-time high of 189 back in October of 2016. And just so you know, anything over 160, according to the website, means we better fasten our seatbelts, whatever that means. The truth is, there are some wild-eyed Christians out there who imagine a cataclysmic final judgment. And the sooner, the better, they say. All of this, you know, rests on their selective interpretation of a few passages, mostly cherry-picked from the book of Revelation. In their vision, a small minority of humans are swept up to hell, and they can tell you, they say, what that fire and brimstone looks like. Bodies exploding, internal organs self-combusting. One person who was interviewed in have been computed how much human blood it will take to fill the, va- the valley supposedly take Megiddo in Israel, where the final battle of Armageddon River four and a half take place. A 200-mile-long river the blood of two and a half billion people. Of course, when the end comes, these folks are certain that they know exactly who gets swept up into heaven, namely them, and exactly whose blood's going to fill the valley. All the rest of us. A friend of mine, Drew, from seminary, bought me a few years ago. It says, Jesus loves you, but I'm his favorite. I'll tell you right off the bat, I do not agree with this fundamentalist vision of Jesus coming back to wreak havoc upon the earth. But I also have to admit that there are these passages in both the Old and New Testaments about the end of the world. I don't think that's the central message of the end. And at the risk of oversimplifying, here's what I think the Bible has to say. Everything wrong about the world will finally be set right. All the innocent people revealed for what they are. God is sovereign. God is in control. God will make all things right and all things new. The best way that I know to say this is one of my favorite quotes. Everything will be okay in the end, and if it's not okay, it's not the end. You may have heard about the premillennialist and the postmillennialist controversy. It all has to do with the millennium. This idea of a thousand-year reign of Christ described in the book of Revelation. The controversy has to do with whether Christ is coming back before the millennium or after the millennium. And frankly, it's a pretty obscure point about a pretty obscure doctrine, but it's very divisive in some fundamentalist circles. Fred Craddock, who used to teach preaching down at Emory, was once asked if he was a post-millennialist or a pre-millennialist. Craddock scratched his head and said he guessed he was a pan-millennialist. Pan-millennialist, the man asked. What is that? What in the world does pan-millennialist mean? It means, Craddock answered, that I think everything will be okay in the end. And if it's not okay, it's not the end. This speculation about the end times, about the apocalypse, is not a new idea. Great Planet, in with Tim LaHaye's Left Behind series, or even Hal Lindsey's The Late Great Brown to write. By the end of the first century, when Matthew finally got brown, Roman emperors near us down, and certainly by the time the book of Revelation was written, the word of Jesus they could get their hands on. These were ghastly and gory 
and horrible persecutions. Surely the Christians thought, this is the end time. Surely Jesus is coming back today or tomorrow, or at least judge where it comes from and why we celebrate Christ the King. Why it's always the week right before Advent begins. King Jesus who will come and set things right. King Jesus who will vindicate those who've been unjustly treated. King Jesus who will bless the faithful and do away with the wicked and kick the Romans back to where they came from. King Jesus who will reign forever and ever. Amen. In this congregation. It's up there on one of our beautiful stages. One of just... One of the few beautiful scenes that depict the life of Christ all around in his hand. He is the King of kings and Lord of lords, Christ the King. Fittingly, Jesus is standing in front of two messengers, proclaiming scrawled across the messengers with a sash with the words Advent in front of Advent. Except that, look at his feet in the stained glass window. What do you see? He's not seated on a throw, but he's standing barefoot with scars of the crucifixion clearly visible on both feet. The king, but with scars. Scars that remind us that Jesus said, this is my body broken for you. This is my blood shed for you. It turns out that this king is more concerned about humility and compassion than edicts and demands. And his kingdom is nothing like any kingdom we've ever seen. Homeland security is about love and compassion and service. And when the Son of Man comes in his glory, Matthew says here at the end of the gospel, when the Son start thinking, finally, finally, Jesus is back and he's going to make everything right and recently get all the honor he deserves from all the people who've ignored him and mistreated him. Matthew even keeps going. All the nations will be gathered before him and he will say, just as you did to one of the least of these, so you did to me. Not be judged by diplomas or by money or by great things we've done. We'll be judged by, I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was naked and you, the jobs are that basic. Matthew doesn't say, I was sick and you found a cure for cancer. I was sick and you visited me. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink and compassion. If Matthew wants us to learn anything from this parable, I suspect it's this. That a relationship with God is not about having faith, not condemned for having done faith. The goats, you remember, are not done nothing. They didn't do anything wrong. They just didn't do anything at all. The Christmas season began on Friday, you know. Although, if you've been to Target, it seems like it started all the way back before Halloween. Black Friday is the official launch of the Christmas shopping season, which means there are a million errands easy during this time of year to become so inwardly focused. All the things I have to do, and I have to make, and I have to buy, and I have to accomplish. And the commercials that tell me over and over what I want under the tree on Christmas morning, and what I need, and what I deserve. And the newest iPhone that I absolutely cannot live without. 
Me, me, me. It's all about me. It's, hard, it's a hard message for us to escape the same days until Christmas. But that also means there are 28 giving days until Christmas. Can I challenge you with something? What if all of us, you and me both, what if for the next 28 days we make a commitment to each other that every day we'll go out of our way to do something for someone else? I'm not talking about finding the cure for cancer or world peace or saving something to do, although those things are good and important. But can you find one thing to visit someone in a nursing home? Call the office of Dogwood Elementary and ask if there are kids. Drop some money in the Salvation Army bucket. Go knock on the door of the neighbor down the street that you haven't seen for a while. Send a donation to the friends of IMCK. If you're not normally the one who cooks dinner in your house, why not do it? Give the other person a night off. Email Ukirk and find out if there are any students who have nowhere to go for the holidays and invite them for a meal. Ask if you can pick up a friend's kids after school. Call up Family Promise and offer to provide part of the Christmas dinner for their families. 28 giving days until Christmas. Do that. Let's do that for the next 28 days. And then after that, maybe you'll find you can do it for another 28 days. And if you can make it for another 28 days after that, that would be nearly three months, the end of February. And psychologists tell us that anything we do for 90 days becomes a habit. Just as you did it for one of the least of these, you did it for me. It turns out in the end that it's not really so much about good theology or bad theology. It's not about the right church or the wrong church. It's not about praying the right prayer and maybe not even about believing the right things. In the end, at least according to Matthew, it's about what you actually do. Those down-to-earth acts of mercy and grace and compassion and love. Just as you did it to one of the least of these, you did it to me. Legend has it that on his famous trip to the Far East, the explorer Marco, Marco Polo was captured and brought before the dreaded conqueror Genghis Khan. Hoping to create a distraction, Marco Polo tried to make conversation and began by telling the story of Jesus straight out of the Gospel of Matthew. Genghis Khan listened attentively, much to Marco Polo's relief. In fact, he liked the story so much that he urged Marcus Polo to keep going. He heard about the feeding of the 5,000, about Jesus walking on water and healing and teaching, and he was com completely enthralled. But as Marco Polo came to the events of Holy Week and told G of Jesus' betrayal and his arrest and his beating and the crucifixion, his host became more and more agitated. As soon as Marco Polo spoke the words and Jesus cried with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit, Genghis Khan exploded. What did the Christian's king do then, he demanded? Did he wipe the executioners off the face of the earth? Did fire rain down from the skies? Did the legions of heaven destroy those who had destroyed the Son of God? No, Marco Polo said. No, he didn't do anything like that at all. He loved them. He died for them. The King of kings, the Lord of lords, 
Christ the King forever and ever. Amen. Lord Jesus Christ, you stretch out your arms and gather all who are in need and hold them in your healing heart. Hear us as we pray. Your kingdom come, your will be done. For those who are hungry, fill them with your abundance. Too many in this world suffer from lack of food when there is enough to go around. We give you thanks for the ways in which you bless us with your earth and its fruits. May we share of those blessings and ensure all people know of your abundance. Your kingdom come. For those who are thirsty, pour out your grace. Many thirst for your new life with you promised in Jesus Christ, waiting for that day when justice will roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. May we see the eyes and hear the voices of those calling out and respond as you first heard us crying out in the desert. May we turn towards those who suffer from the darkness and step into the pit with them, showing them that they are not alone and finding a way out together. We lift up those who live in war zones far off, in Ukraine, Israel, Gaza, and South Sudan. And for those who feel like, the life, feel like life in war zones are even here, in their homes and relationships, still our anger and fear, and allow us to embrace your grace, healing, and forgiveness. Stop the wars, stop the violence, your kingdom come, your will be done. For those who are strangers, welcome them as your beloved. For we were once strangers in a strange land, yet you heard our cries and answered. Turn our ears towards those desperate for peace, safe homes, warm places to raise children, access to food, shelter, health care, employment, and community. Turn our hearts outward and embolden us to connect with those seeking what we all seek, a home with you. Your kingdom come, your will be done. For those who are naked, wrap them in your compassion. For those who are forgotten, abandoned, and cast aside. For those we fail to see, forgive us. Let us boldly embrace those who need it most, wrapping them in love and mercy. Your kingdom come. We lift up those who are struggling with illness, disease, and injury. We pray for those who are altered by bodies and minds that have, been, have betrayed them. We pray for those known to us, for Suzanne, Eloise, Libba, Bob, Lara, Mary Emily, Linda, and Marilyn. Your kingdom come. Your praise for those who are in prison. Set them free to set your prisoner free, embrace the widow, the stranger, and the orphan, and remind us that this world is only here because you choose it to be. Help us care and love each other as you first did for us. Your kingdom come. And Lord Jesus, King of our lives, open our hearts and strengthen our hands. We pray for these things that we may love and serve one another as we watch for your coming realm. We pray, Father, who are, and now pray that prayer your Son taught us, saying, Our Father, thy will be done. Hallowed be thy name. 
Thy kingdom come, this day our daily bread. And forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen.